This is God's word. Good morning, Solano. My name is Paul, I'm the associate pastor. We're continuing in our summer series in Psalms, and uh, we'll be hearing uh, from one of our elders, Jason, next week. And that will conclude Psalms. And then we're actually going to study Psalm 23 for like four weeks. So we, it's a different series, but it's still a psalm. And Andrew will lead us through that. So looking forward to that. I do want to um, begin with a special uh, kind of announcement, a special kind of info from Pastor Paul about our next Gospel Academy. Uh, so if you could put up the slide. So it's called Joining God's Mission a discovery workshop for El Cerrito. And this is kind of a special approach to a gospel academy and actually to the way we are, uh, want to pursue our mission here as a church. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, it, it comes from starting on the premise that God is at work in El Cerrito and in the surrounding area and is at work in each of us. And so the corporate model for um, strategic planning is a CEO comes in and has his master plan. And, uh, and that maybe works in the corporate world, but that's not how I think God wants a church to work, right? So we're not to come in as Pastor Paul or Pastor Andrew with this grand master plan. This is how we're gonna reach El Cerrito. We believe that God has the master plan and we need to discover that plan. And we believe that God is at work in each of you we are the priesthood of believers. And so I think for us to really know how to move forward in wisdom and in enthusiasm, I want God to stir up what he is doing in us and, and, and tap into what he's doing in the city. And so come be a part of this. It's going to be, um, we're going to do uh, some time of theology. So we're going to study what is God's mission, what is, who is our neighbor. We're going to uh, do some storytelling. What's the history of Solano Church? What's the history of El Cerrito? What is our context? And then we're gonna do some discovery. What are the open doors for the gospel? Where is God already at work that we can get behind? Where maybe do we need to break through some new areas? Where are the hurts? Where are the needs um, that tap into kind of our heart? Uh, so be, come be a part of that. I'd love for you to do that. Uh, so I, I just thought it'd help to explain what this is. It's a little different. And so would love to, would love to see how God would use you and speak through you and especially to all of us as we dialogue together. Okay, so um, as we jump into the Psalms, the topic for today is anger. That is today's message is about anger. And the Psalms, uh, you know, they deal with an array of human emotions. That's what I think is so powerful about the Psalms is they are very raw in how they express emotion uh, and one thing you'll notice when you read through the Psalms is anger is a big part of the Psalms. The way I sometimes think about it is the Psalms, if it was music, it'd be like string quartets, maybe some C minor notes, and then all of a sudden it goes heavy metal. All of a sudden it's slay the wicked and dash them to pieces. And I don't, want, I don't know what makes metal, heavy metal metal, but it's like intense electric guitars and dissonant drums, and I'm just imagining that. And so the Psalms go there, and they're intense, right? And actually, anger is all over the Bible. And in fact, God is angry in the Bible. It's one of the reasons it's hard to read the Bible, 
It's what causes us to, it, it could be disorienting. It could be confusing. This is the God of love, and why do we read about so much wrath and judgment? It's, it's hard to swallow. And it's even in the words of the psalmist who is supposed to be our representative of righteousness and how to have an accurate or how to have a good relationship with God. And here he is expressing anger and desire for uh, vengeance. To complicate things, the Bible often repudiates the anger of man. So God is angry, but we, God, the Bible says, your anger is not very good. In fact, in James, it says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so our anger is unfruitful, unproductive. It doesn't get the results that God wants. Um, And so actually, what the Bible says about human anger is it's one of the most dangerous and destructive emotions that we can feel. And I bet you for a lot of us, if I were to ask you, what is your deepest regret in your life? What um, were moments of your biggest mistakes? And I bet you it's when you got angry or someone got angry at you. And that might be the source of some of your biggest trauma and fear. And it could be one of the most destructive emotions in a church. And I might argue, especially amongst men, it could be very devastating in the home and in the church. I get this because, you know, when, when the Bible gives qualifications for the elder, which is the pastoral, the lead shepherds of the church, he tells men that they must not be quick-tempered. They must not be violent or intimidating or quarrelsome. And so if God says, if you're going to be entrusted to shepherd my people, you got to have anger under control. Paul tells Timothy, make sure the men stop fighting. And so I think it's a problem for all of us, especially destructive for men. Jamie will tell me that. She says, you know, I do get angry at the kids, but Paul, when you get angry, it's different. It's scarier. It's louder. It's heavier. And so that's one of the reasons I chose this psalm and this topic is one of my biggest struggles. It's what I am wary about is my own anger. It's one of the emotions that I can feel very easily, all right? And so I've, I've gone to counseling about anger. I have uh, really tried to dive into what is this anger. Um, and so I want to preach this sermon to myself, but I know I'm not alone in this. Uh, to help me prepare for this sermon, and even for my own edification, I picked up David Pallison's book, Good and Angry. David Pallison is a Christian counselor. He is an author uh, that we recommend as a church, that if you want uh, some counseling resources, uh, he is someone that we would recommend. Uh, And he has a chapter um, called uh, Chapter 2, Do You Have a Serious Anger Problem? Yes, you do. Yes, that's the whole chapter. That's it, right? That's, and then it's chapter three. And I appreciated that. And he's saying, look, anger is such an intense issue. All of us have to be wary of it. All of us have to know how to deal with it because we all feel it, therefore it's dangerous. Or if we don't feel it, that's a problem. We have an anger problem if we don't feel anger. 
I'll explain more as we go on. And so this is what I want to talk about today. How are we to think of our anger? If God is angry, then surely there is a place for it. Yet in our sinfulness, we need to be very careful how we use it, how we wield it, how we approach it. And so in this psalm, we're going to look at a cycle we need rescue from and a pattern we must follow and a reward to hold out for. <clears throat> so David, the psalm is from David. He starts off in verse one, verse one, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This is a familiar refrain in the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, many of them start out something like this, where they are asking God to give me your attention. Pay attention to me. Notice there's a bit of a demandingness to this because he is desperate. He is in distress. This is often a prelude to our anger. Is something is causing us a lot of pain and distress. So let us learn from the psalmist the very first thing he does as he goes straight to God. Reminds me of my mom's, if you remember here last week, I read my mom's baby journal to me. She said of my cry, it's demanding but precious. And so this is, the psalmist is living into that relationship with God where he is demanding but he knows that his prayers are precious to God. And so let's see what is causing him to be so desperate for relief. He says in verse two, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. His, this, his prayer is about a lament I think we can all resonate with. He says, my honor is being turned to shame. He says it's a lament about the human experience because he says, oh men, oh all of you people, how long do I have to deal with you beating me up? To be a human being is to live in an honor-bashing grudge match. And so he feels this pain and he gives the root of it. He says that it's because the, we chase human beings, we chase after vain words, we chase after lies. You know, all of us have to believe something about what this world is about and about who we are. And the problem is we end up pursuing messages that are lies. We pursue vain words. That makes me think that we're looking for messages that make us feel good about ourselves. Messages that puff us up. And so when we look for messages that tickle our ears and puff us up, we inevitably have to put people down in order for that to work. And so he is feeling that, right? Um, unless you, and, and, and I'm trying to understand what this, these messages are, and unless you look a certain way or talk a certain way or achieve a certain amount or obtain a certain amount, unless you are these things, you are no good. These are some of the messages that we begin to absorb from the world. Or maybe if you have some of these things or you've accomplished this or that, 
Or maybe some of the beauty of which God had made you begins to shine. Someone has to beat you down for it. Someone has to knock you down and criticize you. And so the psalmist is voicing the lament of everyone who has had their honor turned to shame. It speaks to every child whose parents love them only for their performance. Maybe compare them to other children who are doing better than them. This is speaking to every woman who has felt body shame for not looking like a Victoria's Secret model. This is for every man who was told they were a wimp for having feelings, for not being rough and tough and athletic. This is for those who were bullied and teased and whispered about behind their backs, who were pressured to put out to be accepted. For loving something or being good at something and you were scorned and mocked for it. The list can go on and on. I'm sure each of us, each of you has your story. From childhood to adulthood where your honor was turned to shame. And it causes us to lament, how long do I have to put up with this? How long do I have to deal with this? That's what the psalmist is feeling. Of course, the problem is, why does this happen? And the psalmist says, oh men, and that is, that is all of us, because we have all believed lies. We've chased vain words. We've chased the wrong message. We have bought in to these messages of the world about image and achievement and money and intelligence and humor and aggression or all the things of the world. We've bought into it. And failed to turn to the source of love and truth. I mentioned last week, I was bullied as a kid for living in San Jose, right? I went to school in Los Altos, which, yes, was, uh, was on average wealthier. And so the kids made fun of me. So here I am. I'm a nine-year-old. I have an honor. I have a story of a beautiful story of how my parents lit, got, were able to buy a house in San Jose. They didn't have a lot of money. There was a lot of honor in that, but it was turned to shame by kids who had more than me. But you know what? I remember another story, being out in the playground and playing handball. And I was good at handball, and I was not having a good day. I was losing. I remember I took out my frustration on this girl. I screamed at her in front of everybody, told her to shut up. Because she was awkward and unathletic. What right did she have to be in a handball game with me? So at the tender age of nine, I was learning to turn other people's honor into shame. So I, my point is, we are all victims of the abuse of other people, of this world, and the lies and the dishonoring, but we're all perpetrators. We pass this abuse onto others. It's blowing up at your kids for doing kid things, but you're more worried about how it reflects on you. The honor of being a kid is turned into shame by us parents. It's delighting and gossiping about other people's failures and issues. We put other people's shame on blast. It's demanding forgiveness from others while you justify your hard-heartedness. 
It's promising until, until death do you part and then seeking intimacy and delight in the arms of a person you did not marry. Turning honor to shame. <clears throat> and so apart from God's intervention, we are stuck in this cycle. I use that word cycle to conjure up some imagery. Think of a washing machine. You're locked inside the washing machine being tossed around in the muddy waters of human vengeance, of human anger, biting and devouring one another. And we're all trying to just get clean with the detergent of our own ways and our own wisdom. The very source of the pollution we try to turn to to get ourselves clean. It's a vicious cycle. So the psalmist gives the only solution to this cycle there is only one way to be pulled out for it. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. God has to pluck you out of that cycle. Notice the language is God set you apart. It's the word for to show special distinction. It's, it's, it's used when God describes Israel in relationship to Egypt in his eyes. I give Israel my special distinction. I have set them apart. And so God wants us to know this. He wants the godly to know that you were plucked from that. You were set apart from that by his doing. He intervened in your life. He gave you Jesus Christ and then brought you into the goodness of that sacrifice. In fact, this is how Paul articulates it to the Corinthians. Do you remember? Remember the Corinthian church in the opening chapters? They were believers, but they were beginning to fall back into, they were climbing back into that dirty washing machine of bitterness and rivalry and jealousy and fighting. And Paul says, wait a minute. Consider your calling, brothers. You were no one important. You weren't special in the world's eyes, but God chose you. God put his special distinction on you so that because of him, you are in Jesus Christ. You are believing today because he chose you. He set you apart. And so he says, if anybody boasts, boast in the Lord. The idea of boasting, I think, connects with the idea of let your sense of honor be in Christ. In other words, Nothing will speak more honor and dignity to your soul than knowing God has brought you into the love of Jesus by what he did for you on the cross, that he turned and traded in your shame and gave you his honor. And so when we boast in that, it's a pure boast because we can't take credit for that. These are not vain lies. We can't take credit for that, but, but we get all the benefits of that standing with God. And the thing that really grips me about this statement, about the way God sets us apart, is it's not just to give us honor. He says he sets us apart for himself. And think about that. 
God set you apart in order to give you his special attention. That you would be the objects of his pleasure. And so it doesn't end with you being taken out of it. It actually ends with you in a loving relationship with God. And that's how, how David ends that part. He says, you've set, the part, you've set apart the godly for yourself. And I know you hear me. I know you pay attention to me. He's saying, you love me. And I now walk in that love. And so... When the forces of the world are beating us down, we have this invincible honor from God that cannot be taken. And so David says, in light of my honor bashing from the world, and that hurts, but I know God has given me his special honor, his special distinction, and I will walk in that. And so we're to believe that, we're to understand that. You are to understand that about yourself. If you are believing in Christ, he set you apart for that. Now, when I say that, I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture of, well, now I don't feel the pain of being honor bashed. I don't feel the pain of people beating me down. You will still feel it. It will still happen. And so David turns to the godly, and he has instructions for the godly. Having been plucked from the dirty washing machine cycle, he says, I, want, I have a new pattern for you, O people of God. I have a new pattern. I'm using that word pattern in contrast to cycle. A pattern shows intentionality. A pattern shows control, even beauty. Here is that pattern. Verse 4 be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So I want to summarize this godly pattern. I'm going to summarize it like this to help us remember. We are not to give into anger, but we are to lean in. Lean into anger, but don't give in. So that's what I see the psalmist saying here. Be angry. You're going to be angry in this world. It's full of wickedness and pain and people who want to pursue self-interest and they're going to put you down for that. But don't sin in your anger anymore. I've plucked you from that cycle. But ponder on your beds. Think it through. And so, don't give in. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by not giving in to anger? What I'm saying here is we're not going to let anger control us anymore. Anger is not going to be in the driver's seat. It's a good passenger. It's a bad driver. We're not going to give in to it. And giving in to it can look a little different. I think there's two basic ways that we can give in to anger, what it looks like. One is that is, is the hot anger. It's the explosive and loud anger. It's the anger that gets aggressive and intimidating. It's anger that uses words as weapons 
And you just go after whatever it is or whoever you're angry at. And the Bible calls this fits of rage. You kind of know when that happens. It's gripped you. You've lost control. The same word that we get rage is the same word we get the word uh, from, we get, uh, the same root as the word rabies. You lose it. So the Bible is going to say, don't give in like that. Maybe think of the Hulk. It's a good picture of that. Right? That's what my counselor told me. He says, there's a part of you that's like the Hulk. He's a protector, but he, he can be destructive. You have to be careful with him. He gets angry and smashes But there's another kind of anger. It's the cold anger. It's the assassin type. It's the stubborn, bitter, withholding anger. It's the anger that pulls away. It's more passive aggressive. It's more aimed at somebody. You see, the hot anger is at least honest. It kind of grips you and you're just, it's out there. But this cold anger is a deception. You want to hide it, but you want to make sure someone feels it. And sometimes this anger is worse. Sometimes this anger is harder to turn from. You know, that hot anger, when I've experienced it, I almost immediately feel shame about it. It causes me to repent and apologize. But this cold anger, I want to hold on to it. It could be in the form of a critical spirit, gossip, constant irritability, impatience, avoiding and pulling away. You know, I feel this, um, I have felt this with Jamie at times. By the way, I do both of these, hot and cold. And when I'm angry at Jamie sometimes, the way I do that is, you know what I do? I get very polite to her. I'm just very kind. But Within a half hour, she feels it. She's like, what's wrong? Because there's something missing. I've pulled away affection. See, I have this constant uh, uh, affection towards my wife where I'm just playful with her and, and she, it's, it's just constant, but I pull that away. And it's, I want her to feel that. And I, it is difficult to turn from that. And let me just say this, you know, I, I end up... You're always apologizing for that. But if I didn't, if I'm doing the cold war and never acknowledging that I just acted out in anger, that would eventually be abusive. And that is not okay. It's just as bad as the hot explosive anger, the cold withholding, pulling away. And so the Bible says when you act this way, that is sin. Be angry and do not sin. Don't give in. That's the world's way. That's for people who don't know God, don't know the truth, have not been rescued. Don't do that. So instead, lean in. Lean in. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder on your beds and be silent. When you are angry, you are in the danger zone, the Bible says. And so you need to get away and shut up. You know, one, one of the things that anger, one of the worst ways that anger comes out, not worst ways, one of the first ways it comes out is our words. We go on the attack with our words. And so the, the Bible's saying, don't write that email. Put the keyboard down. Put the phone down. 
You know, with our kids, when they do something and you're just, we're just furious, the best parenting move I can do is say, we're going to talk about this later. Get in your room, be quiet, ponder. So the Bible is saying, actually, I want you to think about what's happening. Don't ignore it. I want you to think about it. So what do we need to understand about our anger? Three things we need to understand about, about our anger is number one, we need to understand our anger as an alert system. This was from Henry Cloud. I've always resonated with this. He says that anger is telling you something is wrong. And you need to pay attention to that. Right? It's like an alarm going off. The thing about alarm, though, is it's imprecise. It's just a loud sound, and you know you need to go find out what the problem is. And so, okay, there's an alarm, so it's time to go figure out what the problem is. There is something wrong. You don't want to ignore anger. Don't just stuff it and move on. There is something going on that God wants you to literally ponder, think it through. There is an alert system. And so that helps us look at our anger in a good way, still wary of it, but recognizing, hey, you know what? This is not something to just ignore. And so instead, I think, understand what anger teaches you about yourself. You see, the thing about anger, anger comes about when something we love is threatened. That's one of the things that causes anger to come out is something we love is being threatened. And so your anger is telling you about what is most important to you. What are your values and your deepest longings? Anger can also be protective. Anger alerts you to your own fears, your own attachments. I remember one time in, when Jamie and I were in our, doing our RV trip for the year, we were on, we had begun our trip to go across the country, and we were like in Arizona or New Mexico, so right in the beginning, and our whole dream was to go all the way across the country. We were finally on our way. She hurt her knee. She goes into the RV crying. She hurt her knee. My first reaction is, I'm angry. I mean, she hurt her knee climbing into the truck, doing nothing wrong. Why was I angry? And I realized my anger was masking a deeper feeling. I was afraid. I was afraid and helpless. And so anger, we got to, you know, anger is, could be a surface level emotion and we got to go deeper to the root of it. And so anger can also point to your wounds. Anger can point out your deepest hurts. And so, so God wants you to reflect on those so you, you can begin to turn them over to him. For example, if you have a deep wound of needing to be perfect, maybe someone in your life put that pressure on you, you'll have a strong reaction to criticism. Instead of being able to listen or even to shrug it off, when someone criticizes you, you seethe with bitterness or you run away in cold withdrawal. And so the Bible is saying you need to learn what is that deeper wound to trust Jesus with that. So I would, I would summarize and say, you know, we don't want to give into anger um, because we don't want to buy into our anger wholesale. Right? And so I want, you know, think about um, if you've ever been to Tijuana, the, when you go to a market in Tijuana, they have, they have good stuff for sale, right? 
right? And they, they have homemade crafts. They have commercial items that you can buy. And here's the deal. When you see that sticker price, you never pay sticker price, right? You bargain it. There is a better price. You bargain it. I think that's how we need to approach our anger. Never accept your anger at face value. It wants you to pay a price that's more than it's worth. You got to get in there and figure it out and get to the right action, the right response. Because here's the deal. The third thing we need to understand about anger is it's the necessary companion to love. And Pallison makes this point, when we get angry, we are living out our identity as human beings. If God is angry and he made us in his image, it's because, it's because we are moral agents. Moral agents, we, that means we can say this is right and this is wrong. That's what it means to be a human being. That's how God is. And so when you love something, you have to make judgments about what, what is right or wrong about that love. You have to say, no, this isn't right. And so anger is an energizing emotion. It's an energizing emotion to deal with the things that are wrong. So if you don't feel anger, then the, the argument is you are too detached. You are insulating yourself too much from the evils around you, and it's going to make you passive. And it's going to allow evil things to go right under your nose, and you're not going to do a thing about it. And so we need to lean into anger because it's telling us something is wrong, and it's the companion to love. So that we are moved into action. And so that's the, the last thing we need to lean into. Or sorry, the second thing we need to lean into is we need to lean into understanding and we need to lean into righteousness. When you are angry, God's, the next passage says, offer right sacrifices. You are at an important moment in your life. This is a crossroads moment when you're angry. How are you going to move forward? Move forward in righteousness. Move towards what is causing that anger in the right way. Maybe you need to lay something down. Maybe you need to give an apology when you're angry. Maybe you need to refuse an act of vengeance when you are angry. Maybe you need to do good to somebody who has hurt you. When you are angry, offer right sacrifices. Take the right next steps. Anger can cause us to go off the rails when we're angry, when someone's distressing us or something is, and we want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We stop going to church. We stop reading our Bible. We just let loose, go to the bottle. No, stay faithful. Continue to follow God with what he has commanded of you. Lean into righteousness by using your anger to engage constructively in the problem. Okay, we need to talk about this. I've thought, thought it through. I've got my anger under control. And you move towards the person or the issue. I need to talk about this. And lastly, having embraced a pattern of godly, uh, of, of godly anger, the psalmist says, trust in the Lord. So we need to lean into our, our understanding of anger. We need to lean into doing the right thing. And we need to lean into God. And so what that means is we need to experience the reward of God's faithfulness. Look at how the psalmist 
ends, having, having called us, having called the godly to a pattern of godly anger, look at how he then, um, uh, look at how he gives us his testimony of what he's experienced from God. Verse six, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The psalmist ends by encouraging God's people with his own testimony. He's saying, look, you guys, I've been there. I've been beaten down by humanity's rage. I've had my honor turned to shame, but you know what? As I've trusted in him, I've experienced more joy in my heart than any amount of riches in this world. He has filled my heart with joy. I have experienced more peace than your best escape strategies from God. He has filled me with peace. And so this is the beckoning call of the gospel is that God has not only set you apart and called you to godliness, but even I think more deeply, he's called you to experience his presence. He's called you to experience the joy of his um, love in your life. And it comes out in the form of real joy. Real peace. Those are the things that tend to make me angry. Something blocks my joy or makes me afraid. Anger comes out. But if I could learn to feel the joy of the Lord, that's the real healing of anger. Anger, that's what heals us from our anger. This is what has helped the psalmist. And so you know, this is his testimony. I can't tell you to believe this, or I can, but you have to experience it. So to help you with that, I just want to end with a few, with an illustration, well, it's not an illustration, I just I want to end with something here. I, last week, I shared with you my mom's baby journal to me. I have a different journal I pulled out for you guys today. This is my journal to God. And I found a journal entry from 2012. 11 years ago, and it was the first time I journaled about Psalm 139. If you recall from last week, my biggest struggle in life when I was in my late 20s, early 30s was self-loathing, negativity, self-criticism. And I turned to Psalm 139 on October 7, 2012. I was praying to God. And I just said, you gave up so much to have me, to bring me back to you. Let this sin, the sin of negativity, not reign in me. It's been killed. Fill me with your spirit to sing melody in my heart to you, not this record of negativity. And so this was almost 11 years ago. So I want to stand as a fellow witness with the psalmist and say, you know, the Lord has met me in some of my deepest struggles with joy and peace. You know, after I journaled this, I'm thinking back 10 years, the hardest things in my life happened after this. The 
biggest griefs and pains and trials actually happened after this, the last 10 years. And yet I stand before you saying, I love the Lord because of the joy he's given me and the peace he's given me. I'm not perfect, I'm not saying that, but I have felt that. I have stuck with God for the last 10 years. He has not let me down. But I know I'm not alone in this. I imagine many of you have stories of God's faithfulness to you, even when you were in the pit. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna ask some of you to stand. Now, I'm not gonna do that thing where I say, stand if you've experienced this, and you're like, oh gosh, I don't wanna be the one not standing. So I'm gonna ask 10 of you to stand. I'm gonna ask 10 of you to stand if you would agree with the psalmist, why don't you throw that verse back up there? If you would agree with the psalmist that you have been in distress in your life, you've walked with God for at least 10 years, that's my criteria, you've walked with God for at least 10 years and you've seen him deliver you from your distress and put joy and peace in your heart because you have stayed with him, you have held out for him. And so if you could say that is true of you, if you could raise a witness to, with the psalmist, I'm gonna ask 10 of you to stand. So if that is you and you've walked with the Lord for 10 years, would you stand? Ten, I'm gonna ask 10 of you to stand. Don't be shy. Three. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Okay, uh, 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 stay up there. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. We're, we're there. Now, if you were... Maybe thinking, oh, I wanted to stand, be part of that 10, and I made you sit back down. I want five of you to stand up. There it is. All right, stop. Look at this. Look around, church family, of the testimony of people who've walked with the Lord for more than 10 years and agree with this psalmist, he has filled my life with joy and peace. I've been through crap, I've been through the valleys, I've had horrible things happen to me, major life disappointments, and here I am praising the Lord Jesus Christ because what he has offered me is better than what the world has offered me. Go ahead and sit down. So this is the message of this psalm is follow and tr put your trust in the Lord in the midst of the junk that this world throws at you. Believe in your salvation that God has set you apart. And that means he plans to reward and bless you and show off his glory to this vengeful, hateful world and maybe even reach some of them because you have a testimony of staying faithful, not going off the rails, not giving in to anger. And even when you did, you turned to the Lord, you repented, and he is still with you, helping you. And so let us hold out for that. Instead of climbing back into the washing machine and the, the polluted water of vengeance and anger, that we, we'd hold out to experience the sweetness of God's very presence in our life. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the testimony that you showed us here today of many brothers and sisters who 
have walked the same walk as this psalmist, Lord, the anointed of God, who felt the pain of their honor being turned to shame, who have been ashamed themselves of their own wicked ways and have turned to you. And Lord, you have delivered them and delivered them and delivered them. And despite our disappointments, despite our pain, you have filled us with more joy and peace than this world could offer. And so, Lord, would you let that be a song and a melody of joy in our hearts today and the rest of our days. Lord, if anyone here is struggling with their trials and distress and wanting to lash out in anger and vengeance, Lord, would you meet them? Would you help them believe in your reward, Lord? Would you call us to that good pattern? Would you help us in our homes and our children? Would you help us with our enemies? Lord, would you help us with our neighbors? Lord, would you help us with one another to love to offer right sacrifices to put our trust in you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.